Monkey to Let Go, the podcast platform of the Phenomenalist, by Leopold Lambert. Today, solidarity and policing of North Paris migrants and refugees with Timothy Perkins. Hello everyone, today my guest is uh, Timothy Perkins, who is uh, an architect, an artist, a writer, a professor in, at uh, NC in Paris, the School of Design, and also a member of uh, Collective Debout, which, um, which has been uh, doing a lot of work with uh, the two, uh, the two uh, refugee camps, uh, I mean encampment under the Paris subway in the north of Paris in uh, La Chapelle and now in Stalingrad where we're recording this, uh, this conversation and you can hear the subway above us uh, and the cops behind us. <laughs> um, hello, Timothy. Hello. Uh, thank you for talking to me today. So we're recording this conversation in very particular conditions um, that are uh, quite uh, common to your daily work here can you uh, but maybe before before we really perhaps talk? perhaps perhaps before we go on i could just um, correct one thing it's yeah. the the collective is called la chapelle debout which has something to do with the initial huge camp that was at la chapelle um, underneath the metro further down the line here and and was um, evacuated the french term they use uh, last summer and at that point then of course as with every evacuation there's now been 27 evacuations since then at every evacuation there's 30 40 50 people 100 people that are not taken into account which immediately begins a new um, struggle in the city to try and set up a camp where the police are extremely violent to try and um, keep the refugees from grouping together and forming a, a camp so that they, they, they can function better and have better um, contact with associations and other, other things that, uh, that use them. Um, Work with them, I suppose, would be better. Perhaps before we even uh, talk about this particular struggle, mm -hmm. I think uh, we're, as we already uh, described, uh, all of this is very territorialized within the city, and mm -hmm. maybe I wanted to have a small... I wanted to make a small echo with uh, what you're doing as a, as a professor uh, in, um, in taking uh, students in design and trying to make them understand the sort of territory, the territorial politics at work in the city. Could you maybe just describe uh, that to us for a little bit? Yeah, uh, I, I teach two courses at uh, the NC. Um, one is an investigation of the suburbs by bicycle. It's four hours uh, doing a, doing once a week for 10 weeks. And the other one is in Paris uh, on foot. The one in Paris begins in the center of Paris, um, normally at uh, the archives, National Archives building in the center in the Marais, and works slowly out towards the peripherique, the border of Paris, um, and then works along that border investigating um, What, what still exists in an area that allows a certain amount of freedom to establish uh, your own spaces or, or to create um, uh, camps or, or places where people who are, are rejected by the society 
present contemporary society in France have to go to create something. So uh, um, three types of camps would be the refugee camps, the other would be the, the drug addicts who have camps along the edge of Paris, and the third would be the Roma camps that are along the edge of Paris. Um, it's an investigation of um, the structure of the city, historical structure moving from the center, which is kind of the historical but also economic wealth of the center, moving out towards the north, moving out towards the, through different ethnic areas, the, the black um, hairdresser area, the uh, other areas that are um, Arabs, uh, the black area of uh, the 18th, the Goudor, um, the India, Indian area near um, Gare du Nord, uh, the working class areas as opposed to the, the more wealthy areas of the center, looking at different types of architecture along the way, social, social housing. That's the Paris course, and the suburbs course is on bicycles, so we're, we're covering a larger territory, and I usually try to do most of the um, northern suburbs, going from, uh, sometimes, always Nanterre, which is, which is quite important. Um, leave it, in fact, the course always leaves from the edge of Paris, from one of the Portes de Paris, goes out to a suburb and then investigates in the suburbs the social housing conditions, but also the, the, maybe the Roma camps or the, the um, urban fabric in terms of the violence of um, uh, auto um, highways and trains and so on that are cutting through um, cities and dividing cities up into, into spaces that become then very, very difficult to function. And then, and then looking at also where uh, in, in, in current society where um, public space is being lost um, being fenced off, being closed off uh, both in Paris and in, in the suburbs um, taken away maybe because of areas having been um, once camps and then once the camps are, are uh, destroyed the areas are normally fenced off so it doesn't work anymore or um, areas that have just been fenced off for um, so-called security reasons. So, um, as you said, we are, we are witnessing uh, many uh, uh, forceful evictions by the police uh, and uh, people are uh, under the pretense, like there's always a very well-drafted narrative of, uh, uh, of a humanitarian eviction, uh, uh, the uh, health reasons, uh, all, all this kind of... Um, all those kinds of arguments that that pretends to be legitimate to organize these evictions and that withdraw uh, this population of refugees from, away from uh, away from the city. I mean, we're we're in the north of Paris, but we're still relatively central. Um, could you maybe describe to us what happens to people who get evicted because they're they're uh, they're being uh, they're being relocated? They're being uh, housed, but in a very, very particular manner. So, uh, in the preparation of this conversation, you were you were telling me uh, yeah. about, about uh, specific people who've been uh, quite far away in the in the suburbs, in particular uh, conditions. Could you tell tell us about that? Yeah, perhaps first to, uh, just to comment on the question of um, the use of the word eviction. In French, it's there's there's two things that happen. I mean, they use always evacuation. But there's two things that happen. The Roma camps are evicted. They're not housed anyplace else. They're just chased away. 
Um, they might be for a very short period of time, a week or something, uh, given housing. Most of the Roma will refuse that because it, it does them no good and they're, they're separated, they're, they're housed in places where they can't cook, they can't afford to stay there because it means they have to buy meals, so it puts them in a very difficult position. The refugee situation is different in, in that they're, they're, once again, it's this term evacuation, which is a really horrible term because it has to do with, um, not really with humans, uh, it has more to do with garbage or something. But anyway, they're, um, they're when the evacuations take place, the area is cordoned off. Um, normally at around 6 o'clock in the morning, a police, the police arrive sometime between 5 and 6. They cordon off the area, so only those people who are in the area at that time will be evacuated. And all of the other ones who have perhaps gone to the toilet or are sleeping next door but not in that area because because they they maybe have found a little place to be a bit warm or a bit more private or ones that have perhaps gone to sleep with at a friend's place Ch- uh, young young adults are, are often um, we, we try to find housing for young adults so that they're not sleeping on the street minors um, so all of those people are never taken into account the ones that are taken into account they're, they're then placed onto buses um, it's not um, there's no communication at the moment between the collectives and associations who work with the refugees and the police forces and the city forces and 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 certain um, organizations that work with the police so we don't know where they go it takes a little bit of time to, to find out where they have been taken to uh, and, and I think maybe what you want me to uh, talk a little bit about is yesterday mm-hmm. where we went out because we've got reports now back from the from the last evacuation uh, which was um, uh, Stalingrad 2 we're now at Stalingrad 3 at the moment where we are um, and at that evacuation there were about 700 people that were evacuated and they've been then scattered all over um, all over France um, many of them quite out quite far there, there's one camp that's one camp, one place, one uh, refugee center that's down on the Spanish border, extremely isolated. There's four. There were 46 people there. They were three people to a room. Toilets and showers were outside. The refugees that we spoke to on on the phone said the conditions were were very bad um, in the building. They had food was not good, uh, but even perhaps worse was they didn't know where they were. They didn't know how to get any place. You have to remember that they often don't speak French or English. They're from many from, from Somalia, from other countries where uh, they're not, I mean, they have their own languages. There's usually not translators, so it makes it very difficult for them to understand. Um, those people, I think all of them are left. It's the second time that they tried to put people down there and they've, they've, they'll come back to Paris and they're probably in the camp actually now here. Um, the one where we were yesterday was, was close to Meaux which is about 40 kilometers east of Paris. Uh, they're in a Formula One hotel, 40 minutes walk away from the train station. Um, they've been told there's a bus, but nobody's ever been able to find the bus, so it's not really clear whether there is a bus. They've never been given tra- uh, tickets for the trans- public transport system, which they should have. Um, so they have to walk the 40 kilometers to get to the, the train station. They have, from the SAMU, they have a, uh, a kind of health voucher, which is for hygiene products and food. 
It's six euros a day. They've received so far six, uh, one week of those, seven of those. But now that those ended three days ago, and since since those three last three days, they haven't received anything else. The six euros, of course, is um, if there was a kitchen in the hotel. The four, there's 46 of them in the hotel. If there was a kitchen and six euros for each person, they could put the money together and buy food and cook something, and and they would still have money for hygiene products and and other things that they need. But since there's no kitchen, they have to buy food from a restaurant. And if they buy food from a restaurant, it costs... Um, the, the cheapest that they have there is 8 euros. So that means it's impossible for them to do it. So in fact, every day, they come back into Paris to eat. So they have to walk 40, uh, 40 minutes, and then they have 30 minutes of train to get, back, to get back into Paris, and then the time to get where they can eat in Paris. So it means that they're in really very difficult condition. Once again, there's no translators there. There's no... Um, they don't really know what's happening to them. Until yesterday, they didn't know whether they were going to be able to stay there after the 14th, which is tomorrow. Um, and yesterday, they finally found out that their, the, um, their stay at the hotel has been extended another month. But it means that they're kept in a very fragile, very precarious situation for food, for health products. I mean, they have to, they have to, they have to make a decision whether they're going to buy food or soap, which, which is a, a horrible situation to be in. They're not allowed to hang their clothes outside to dry because the, the person who runs the hotel says that it will reduce the, the value of the hotel. They'll have less, less other clients in the hotel. It's interesting also to know that these hotels are often the Formula Ones. This, the man that we spoke to yesterday is running two of them. In, in the other hotel, they're both near Mo. In the other hotel, he's housing Roma, so it's being paid for by the government. And in this hotel, they're housing um, refugees. So the government is really um, subsidizing the Formula One hotel system, which is, which is rather shocking because they're paying a lot of money. Uh, they're, they're paying money, we don't know how much, for breakfast for the refugees, which normally the hotel doesn't, Formula One doesn't have breakfast, but they only get a small bread and a cup of coffee for breakfast. So even after breakfast, they're hungry, and then they have to try and figure out a way to, to get someplace where they can eat food for the little bit of money they have um, so we're we've been talking about what the state has uh, been been doing consistently for the last uh, for the last year uh, regarding this situation maybe we can talk a little bit about the sort of uh, activist movements that's been uh, organizing around this situation as well Uh, including uh, the organization, the collective you're part of, uh, La Chapelle de Boue. Could you, could you maybe tell us about that? Um, I'm not an expert on La Chapelle de Boue. I joined them just uh, maybe two months ago. Uh, so I, I, I only know that they, uh, as their name indicates, uh, La Chapelle is, is the metro station, as I said, just... Uh, one more further to the west of here. La Chapelle was where there was the big, um, the first really huge uh, refugee camp, which was very well organized in the beginning. Everybody had tents. Um, the city came once a week, and, and the refugees moved all the tents off to the sidewalks on the side, and it was washed and so on. It was, it was not a good situation, but it was for, for the way the state is treating refugees in France, it was, it was at least... Um, 
decent because the citizens, the, the government never does anything, but the citizens were very organized and, and working very well. And it's, uh, it's also the Tamil, the Tamil area, so I think they know something about refugeehood as well, which probably was helpful. I, I'm sure that there was help from them as well. I, I wasn't, I wasn't um, active with uh, the refugee situation at that time. I was working more with the Roma situation in the south of, in the south of uh, Paris. Um, La Chapelle de Bou then um, organized itself following, well, I'm not sure if it was at that time, but the citizens that had been working with the refugees once there was the evacuation, as I said, there's always refugees that are, that are abandoned, that aren't taken into account. And those refugees are then um, really uh, threatened by the police, chased by the police, um, beaten by the police, gassed by the police, because the police are trying to prevent them from regrouping. So the citizens then were very active and, they, and then they tried to protect the refugees. And then there were a whole series of small camps that were constantly um, attacked by the police and gassed and, ch and chased. And there were, there was, it was a very uh, tense situation last summer and went on into the, into the autumn. I was aware a bit of what happened um, before I left to the States and then when I came back from the States in September again. Um, in September, I ended up uh, really just days after I came back. Uh, I, I was going to the bakery in the 18th near the city hall, and there were a group of refugees in front of the city hall, and there were riot police um, around the refugees. And I stopped, I stopped my bike and just and just looked for a while, wondering what was happening. And then I, the the riot police started getting threatening. And there was really no decision to make. I had to, I had to cross the the border, um, the, the the border set up by the by the riot police, and and enter the area that was occupied by the the refugees, and and join a few other um, whites who were there to to protect the the refugees from from being beaten by the by the riot police. And at that point, then I ended up um, spending spending the night and spending the next. Um, Uh, 10 days there and that grew very very quickly the refugee uh, group grew very quickly into a rather large group and then it was eventually evacuated with um, the three other areas the Austerlitz area and um, the um, Jean Carré area um, I don't know if that really answered your question no yeah it does I mean we can only speak about what we know obviously uh, so, I mean, cur currently we're seeing also... Uh, I guess that's why I came into contact with La Chapelle de Bou, yeah. rather indirectly. Yeah. And then when, when the camps started coming here at, at Stalingrad, uh, I, I, I made more contact and, and know a bit more what I was doing. So, uh, currently in Paris, there's a, a little bit of a surge of a certain form of political... Uh, Movement, so to speak. I mean, what we've seen with uh, La Nuit Debout, something we're both, uh, maybe suspicious is too strong of a word, but maybe a, a little bit um, a little bit observing from the outside a little bit to, to know if it is going to really address key issues in this particular society that uh, the French society is for reasons that are described in the previous conversation I've been having with uh, Nasir Aghani Sulamas ah. uh, about, about structural racism. 
some things that might not be quite uh, one of the main points of discussions in La Nuit Debout, but we, we have to acknowledge the sort of uh, a certain form of energetic uh, impetus that is being created with, to be fair, a relatively, uh, uh, a relatively uh, good sense of, of, um, of uh, how much the French state is... Uh, uh, Antagonizing the refugees has been antagonizing the refugees for and the, with its police for the few the few last months. Um, could you could you maybe? Uh, I mean, I guess I already started to answer the question I could have <laughs> asked, but could, 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 you, could you maybe give us your thoughts about that, knowing that we can't really draw any conclusions, but maybe uh, looking at what's going on. Um, yeah, maybe maybe just two other comments. I think. And I don't know whether that's come up in other interviews as well, but what, what just the historical thing is it's not really just in the, in the past year or so, but the, the Roma movement, the Roma, um, the racism against the Roma people in, in France really, um, the movement itself talks about 25 years. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you have to um, include that in any type of, in any type of, refugee movement and the other movement that's very strong in France is the sans-papiers the, the um, uh, undocumented immigrants which, which has been on, going on since um, France, well I think even longer I'm, I'm, as you know I'm not, I'm not French uh, by birth so I, I can't really um, be positive about history but at least the, the thing that I know would certainly be since um, they started bringing workers over from their colonies, uh, the Algerians probably in the beginning. Um, so all of that uh, continues. It, it's, it's the same battle that's going on. The refugees are just a, a bit glamorous at the moment, so it's kind of a hot topic for, for Europeans and, and, and whites to talk about because it, it, it has a certain glamour around it. Um, bombing their countries and then, and then trying to figure out what we're going to do with the the population's moving around um, and I've kind of forgotten what you've asked <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was uh, no but I, I think okay never mind what I ask I think it's very important what you just uh, what you just described because uh, I do remember as well uh, uh, I was really not that old but in the late 90s uh, the, the sans-papier uh, occupation of, uh, of the church that got uh, evicted by the police and created created images that even uh, very uh, Relatively conservative uh, uh, French white people were were quite shocked about with the police entering entering a church, uh, axing down the door. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I think that was that was precisely the symbol that was going to to antagonize the state, but not not enough to not enough to to really do anything in terms of uh, regularization of, of uh, some papier of undocumented migrants. Um, and uh, and it's true that the, the the Roma the Roma struggle is clearly under discussed in this country, where when this there's actually uh, an incredible amount of both policies and police brutalities that are being involved in. Uh, and with with in terms of architecture, it's quite interesting as well, right? Because there's a sort of uh, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy in like destroying. Each new uh, villages, so to speak, that are being built by uh, the Romas, uh, saying that oh, but look, they're 
they're nomad like they keep moving it's like well yeah of course the police is like making them move so you you've been you've been looking at this particular um, uh, village in Rissorangis uh, in the south of Paris could you could you describe it for us uh, that was last year yeah um I describe it. Um, I, it was in actually. I, I was. I worked in two places. I, uh, one was um, actually a following the destruction of the the Roma village in Rissangis. There was um, a group of I think eight families who uh, there was kind of a pilot program set up where they would they were going to be housed and they were housed then in containers on a parking lot um, quite isolated away from the center of Rissangis and I started working there with a, with a, a group called Peru where we were constructing a, a communal structure there were, there were just the houses it, w- it was really a horrible situation because it was summer it was a black tarmac they were in containers there was no shade there was no protection it was really hellishly hot and so the idea was to construct um, types of uh, things in front of the Uh, the, the containers so that they would have a bit of shade and then to construct a rather large structure <coughs> excuse me which would be a communal space um, where they would be able to group together under um, a roof which which ended up being known as the chapel because they're they're quite religious um, um, people and and they did the idea was to transform it into a into a chapel for them I worked on that initially and then I started working on the new camp after once they had been chased out of the camp in, in Rissangis they, they eventually went to Grigny which is a city just next door and they and they built a new camp there um, and I showed up in that camp uh, to work on um, well I didn't know actually I was there um, really really as a, a laborer just to just to do what I could working with uh, the Peru group and and they decided to build a Uh, their own shack uh, from which they would do research. I worked on it, but I have to admit that I was uncomfortable with the with the idea of um, um, non-Roma and mainly whites uh, building a a rather upscale um, shack with new materials and. Um, It was built taller than the other ones, um, larger, higher, somehow rather uncomfortable with that. I did work on it then, but but I think that that ended my in involvement with Peru at that point. Um, but the idea was to to have a base where they where where Peru could then the group Peru could could do um, studies of how uh, the Roma were building their own villages and and what the architecture was like and what do do kind of more detailed. Um, study of, of that situation alright well uh, Timothy thank you so much for speaking to me today I think everything is very much in the in the making as well so that might explain a tiny bit the extreme messiness of my questions as well <laughs> sorry about yeah, that and it's com- maybe it's a bit complicated because it's also I keep I, I've been pulling back you ask a question and I go off on something else yeah. and, and I'll do it once again I, I arrived in France um, 21 years ago And when I first arrived, I, uh, I, to survive, I was teaching English, and I was teaching English in private companies. And I remember my first experience with, with the, the Roma situation. I was out in a, in a, in a, a tech company, computer company, out near um, Mont-la-Vallée. And 
I didn't understand why this company had the the was on um, sort of a, in ban, abandoned industrial land or actually old agricultural land that, had, that was slowly being eaten up by by the urban sprawl. And I didn't understand why there were trenches and 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 these things around. And then somebody explained to me that it was to keep the gypsies away. And I and I and I really didn't understand that. Um, but it means that you know that's 21 years ago, and, and and at that time it was something normal. So the problem must be really, really much, much um, older than even the 25 years. Uh, it took me a long time to figure out um, what what uh, the degree that the race this this racist policy has has infiltrated uh, the. the society and, and people see it as being normal or don't even recognize it anymore they see it as, almost as being urban decorations or something well yeah I mean I think another another um, going off on the sideline yeah, but I think maybe that, that should be the, the structure the non-structure of this conversation but <laughs> I think when it comes to French uh, structural racism there's so much we can talk about mm. and so much uh, to evoke to find as well in the gene genealogy of col coloniality Uh, that very much explain what we're currently uh, witnessing as well. So, um, well, Timothy, thank you so much. You're and, welcome. Uh, okay. And uh, good luck with uh, all your work here and around. Thanks.